so everybody always says, well, the, you know, the difference between tour players and amateur players is talent. And I'm, I'm a big fan of the Lucky Sperm Club, but I will say this. And we're back with another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Tevin Singer. Yeah, Matt Cermak in the house. How are we doing, guys? Guys, in case you're new, the part train, we use golf to help you live a better life or at least make both a little less frustrating. Learn how to get better and achieve peak performance on and off the course from PGA Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, PGA Tour coaches like Jake today, and more. It's time to finally enjoy the ride. That's what the part train's all about. So before we get to this episode with Jake Thurm, PGA Tour coach and instructor of Kevin Streelman and many others, um, we got to have a quick word from our friends over at Superspeed, who Super Jake Speed. uses. Jake's a big fan of Superspeed system yeah. with his players. Um, yeah. How would you like to add distance to every club in your bag? I know Matt could uh, benefit from that. Uh, for well. the past few years, club head speed and distance has dominated the headlines on the Pro Tours. And the longest players show up time and time again at the top of the leaderboards in the biggest events, right? But what about us? What about the amateur? What about the recreational game? Well, distance is just important, if not more important for us. And through the use of their tracking technology and golf statisticians, heard of them? We now know that how far you hit the ball, especially off the tee, has a direct correlation to lowering your score. And so... Superspeed has a proven record of results. They have over 700 tour players around the world, thousands of everyday golfers. We've used it, Matt. I mean, I know you've gained I mean, a lot I, of distance. I'm, I mean, have you seen me hit those high power cuts? I mean, I've a got a, you, a, a shot you wish you had. I mean, you, I mean, you sure. don't have it. I mean, That's I'm, get, I'm I getting don't. speed. I'm hitting a two yard cut. And <laughs> I don't have I'm, it. I will say I'm, this, guys, firsthand. So, so. Firsthand. I used to be 50, 60, maybe 80 yards ahead of this guy. Now Matt's right up there with me. Super speed is probably a big part of that. So to get started with your journey, I mean, guys, it's, I mean, this holidays are coming. Um, we don't know exactly when this episode is going to post, but it's going to be around right before the holidays. Go to superspeedgolf.com and enter the code PARTRAIN, all one word, for 10% off your purchase. This is the best gift you can get because you're buying distance. What right. more fun thing to buy than that? Evan would like to buy just well accuracy scores because he has some distance. So you know, but for you guys, you know, you need to understand that you need the speed. You, you need, need the speed. speed. You need speed. Okay. It's really I'm hard to get it. distance without speed. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Right. right? Uh, so thanks to Superspeed guys. Check it out. Enter the code PARTRAIN, SuperspeedGolf.com. Okay. Jake Thurm, Cermak. Uh, Again, he's PGA Tour coach. Chicago um, guy. Chicago guy, big super speed guy. He's worked with Kevin Streelman uh, for 15 plus years. They're, they were best friends growing up still to this day. Yep. Um, he was named America's best young teachers for three years, 2016, mm -hmm. 2017, actually four through 2019. Um, and I found this interview very unique because – it's, it's very rare to feel like we have someone on the show that immediately feels like he's one of your best friends, you know? Like, yeah, this was cool, a lot really of cool fun. Guy. This yeah. was, like, we, we talked everything from movies to The Bachelor to... Well, which you love. You know, I mean, I loved you, it. You would have done the whole episode on The Bachelor. I mean, this episode kind of has a little bit everything. He has this amazing story at the end about his college coach. I think it's an amazing story and lesson. Uh, what we can learn from Kevin Streelman, 
and what people are getting wrong in, I think he articulates it really well. Because keep in mind, guys, that the really unique thing about Jake is he's a swing coach, right? But his background is in psychology. So the way that he goes about the swing is with the mental game in mind. And I think that's something we obviously love and a lot of our listeners appreciate. So this episode is going to, I think a lot of you are going to love. You know, I think in a lot of ways, and we talk about it, he's like Sean Foley. I mean, he's just a fired up guy who's big on the research, big on the data, but like just really wants to go to battle with you to become a better player. Yeah. But was it now, Jake's an extremely accomplished teacher. He works with tour pros, including Kevin Strillman, um, and a lot of junior players like Foley. But look, he teaches a lot of amateur players, you know, yeah. a lot of everyday. And, and, that's, and that's you guys listening, I think you're going to take away a lot of things from him on his, not only his teaching philosophy, but also the mental game and, um, you know, just try to, just trying to simplify things. You know, he, um, he's kind of no BS and I, and that's what we love about our, some of these guests that come on, right? Yeah. Like he's going to give it to you. So, yeah. uh, Jake was awesome. Absolutely awesome. And the last thing I'll say about this episode is, uh, his connection was going a little in and out. So I'm going to do my best to, edit those out but guys if you hear a, a little bit of uh, of sound issues bear with us it's, it's uh, most, because he was recording from his man cave he's recording from his man it's cave something it was fantastic. Out, of, out of the movies the um so if you guys aren't currently subscribed and you like what we do definitely get us a subscribe rate and review us it helps us out a lot and check us out on social and all the channels uh yeah. we're always tweet, trying tweet to it. tweet at us let's ask evan why he starts out two under at the par three course, and then it just all goes downhill. Yeah, I might have started birdie birdie and ended up three train. over. You can't even find the par train. Goes from birdie train to double bogey train. Tweet it, Evan. Let's talk about it. I appreciate that. Okay. Well, <laughs> I hope everyone has great holidays and uh, stay well. I know it's getting crazy out there with everything going on. So stay healthy, stay warm, it cuts, and make try cuts. and stay on the par train. It's the best place yeah. to be. Take care, guys. And we're back with Jake Thurm. Jake, first of all, we want to thank you and welcome you to the show. But this man cave behind you, for those on podcast, I apologize. Um, But, I mean, I'm looking at a putting green behind you. I see a mural of seven at Pebble. We've got golden tea. There's a urinal. I mean, tell people about this. Cold beer? Uh, On tap, yeah. Um, so we moved into this new house. I, I think everybody needs to build two putting greens in your life because then you can improve upon the mistakes you made on the first one. So, um, we just moved in this place a year ago and, uh, I had, um, uh, my buddy, Brian Grozik do the green behind uh, me with my stepfather. Um, they did the surface. He did the rest. It's good to be handy. I'm really good at um, fetching things or tearing things down. I'm not really good at building things up unless they're golf swings. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got golden tea over there. I, I think that's a prerequisite. We've got Ninja mm-hmm. Turtles, the four player. We got Pac-Man. Yeah. Uh, Asteroids is over there, but uh, there we go. And then there's the bar area over there. So we got the tapper. I won't, uh, I won't show you the urinal, but um, it's uh, conveniently located next to the bar. So this is all my, this is all my passions, right? So yep. I, uh, I have golf, I have retro gaming, probably nothing after 1993. And, um, 
and drinking. So, yeah. Love I mean, that, that's top quarantine living right there. <laughs> I, I won't lie to you. It, 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 when, when they told us to stay home, that's when this really flew together. So I was, I was properly motivated. Guy never Love has it. to leave anymore. Jake, you know, here at the, on the par train, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back or anything, but we got a hell of a research team. Okay. And we heard, <laughs> we heard that you're a big bachelor fan. And I think this is our, I think this is our chance to tell the guys out there that it's okay to admit it. <laughs> this is all going to come full circle with Ab too. So just, just yeah, I'm go a fan ahead. as well. So go ahead, Jake. <laughs> this is uh, this is how you know that I I don't know the questions before they come to me. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So uh, I bet you don't get many interviews starting with that, enough. do you? <laughs> Um, I, I will, I will say this. It, it's, uh, so, so much like so many relationships, it's, it's really at its best at the beginning and then it's just a, a mess at the end. So for me, the show is the same way. Um, I love when, um, and, and let's, let's be very clear here. I mean, if, if we're going to go here, let's go here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I am a much bigger fan of the bachelor than I am of the bachelorette. And I think okay. that's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. I like 25 women showing up for one dude as opposed to the other way around. Very rarely do I like the bachelorette that much that I would tune in for her whole season. So um, I love the beginning when the people um, slut out um, to get the bachelor's attention. And um, I, I just, uh, I find it to be a wonder... So uh, my wife and I watch this together. We'll pour a glass of wine. It's impossible to watch that show and not drink wine. And um, she, she's, uh, she's, she buys into the whole fake love thing. And sure. I am more about the social experiment. I think the genius of the show, and of course, this is me justifying why I watch it. Um, <laughs> the genius of the show is that every single, because per- it's not like, and I'm going to name a few, and I haven't re- even really seen it. Like if you go on Big Brother, you know you're trash, okay? You just know it, right? (laughs) You know that you're a mess. Um, The genius of The Bachelor is every single person that goes on that thinks that America will love me. And I love that first Google of their name. Uh, When (laughs) when they're on the live show and they're crying about how everybody can't stand them and how they have these annoying little, so it's a wonderful, wonderful social experiment where everyone thinks that uh their 15 minutes will be will be great <laughs> and uh I, i'm i'm almost a bigger fan of when it isn't great so yeah i love the people that people don't love like i love the people that don't get along with everybody in the house and so on. it just makes for such better television you like that's why villain. i don't like the bachelorette bachelorette there's way too much growing it's like constant yeah. you know if we want to see that we go on my back porch, watch the Tyson fight, and smoke cigars. I don't need to see broing. I see broing all the time. Yeah, that's a fair point. I'm sure our listeners want less bachelor talk and more golf talk. But I will say this. Uh, I run a, a pick'em league with it. So watching, <laughs> watching The Bachelor and having 25, 30 women and trying to pick who's going to move on, you pick one person a week. It's basically a survivor league. That will make it even more fun, especially if you have a couple glasses of wine or beer or whatever. So, you know, maybe- yeah, we, we do this. We do the same. And uh, I'm better at that than I am the NCAA tournament. 
Would you like to know my, my secret there? Actually, yeah, let's, let's do it. It's, it's very easy. Okay. Um, and my, my wife's going to, and by the way, I, I cannot pick who the bachelor, again, why I don't like that. I can never pick who she's going to pick. Very easy. I, I'm usually good within the first couple of weeks at like, like startling strokes gained accuracy here. Okay. Ready? Yeah. The biggest cans. It always works. <laughs> I'm telling you. Wow. It's a hundred percent accuracy. Um, so when you, cause you're going to, cause in the first few weeks, they always, they're showing you five. Like when somebody gets voted off and they haven't even talked to that. Yeah. I mean, that's not a surprise. Like they're showing right. you about four or five. They're giving you, they're tipping their hat to the final four early. I've never great. had a transition from cans, <laughs> uh, to the golf swing, but Hey, let's, let's try and do it. Um, okay. so you know, the person that goes on The Bachelor, Bachelorette, you know, tends to have a little bit of fame and they'll try and make money off of that for the rest of their life, right? Well, speaking of mm-hmm. money, Jake, uh, <laughs> you said a quote where you said, you make your money when your player plays well, right? But you earn your money when they play poorly. And I was just, right. I thought that was a great place to start on a serious note of just, what does that mean as a coach to you? and 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 how could maybe someone like us learn from that as a player? You know, sometimes, sometimes your worst moments happen at the nicest locations. That's the best way I can describe that. So um, when you coach in, you know, the Masters was recent, but when you coach in the Masters or U.S. Open or wherever, wherever, right? Pebble Beach, right? So everybody's, as soon as you leave, like anybody – your friends are going to go have a good time. Right. And I'm like, I'm for that. I'm not, not against a good time. Um, but at the same time, I always remind them, you know, it is work. So, um, and sometimes it's more work and sometimes it's less. So, um, yeah, that, I really think the key with handling, especially, and that quote was made about the best players, right? PJ tour players. So, yeah, I really think that there is, there is an art to getting the hell out of the way uh, and yet making them feel like they're on the plan. I, I've had, uh, had some guys that probably were trending very well going into an event, but because of their own nervousness was ready to throw it all out the door Wednesday night. Um, <laughs> I, I have a word about, Wednesday night putting green sessions. Um, but uh, even I can't say that on here. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, it, we'll just say it's a, it's a Wednesday night cluster, right? So it's, uh, it, it's basically them getting all of their nervousness out. And, you know, and sometimes it's directed at you and sometimes it isn't. Um, but um, I, I never, I never, I, I always tell people if that bothers you, then you probably shouldn't coach them because I never feel as though they're yelling at me. I think they're just, I think they're just letting it out, right? Like instead of, you know, it might be directed in my direction, but it's more like I'm, I'm fucking nervous. That's, and that's really what they want to scream at the top of their lungs. So, um, so uh, when they're playing well, it's really keeping them on the plan because you should have had that, you should have been executing the plan all along. So it's just keeping them, it's, it's, it's where buy-in and time-in meet hand-in-hand, right? You're keeping their buy-in 
high because their timing leading up to the event has been exceptionally high. My most of the guys I've worked with, in fact, I think uh, perhaps overdo that. And then, and then earning it when they're not playing well. This to me is the separator. Uh, there is a lot of internet coaches that can fix fix every single player on tour, including Tiger, many times over. Um, the problem is that they don't understand uh, the coaching that happens in the moment um, where they're just looking to you for something, mm. something, and they need it. They need it right now. And, uh, and, and usually they need a feel or a shot. And, um, and uh, that's really, you know, cuts. It's interesting. Cuts made is really important to the guys I've worked with. Right. And, and I'll be the first one to say, I haven't worked with a tiger. I haven't worked with a, you know, Cameron McCormick's earning his money now, isn't he? So I haven't worked with a Jordan Spieth or a Jason Day or anything like that, but I've worked with some really talented guys and cuts made is very important. So yeah, they may not have it that week. Um, but, uh, getting to the weekend, uh, still matters greatly, especially when you look at, you know, everybody knows about 125, but they don't understand 70, right? right. 70, you're in all the invitationals. They don't, uh, the, the average PGA tour, tour viewer does not understand the reshuffle, right? After the West Coast. So they, they don't know how these players actually get into these next uh, string of events. Hmm. So um, you, you, you fall to the bottom of the reshuffle if you're not making cuts. So when you are there um, and they are looking to you for something though i'm not hitting any of the shots um they need something to go with and and the art form there is that you have to give them something that goes along with the plan that you've been working all along and to understand that you know all of this uh what was the greek god that pushed the the boulder up the mountain Sifa, Sifa, whatever. Mm, I not a Greek god guy. Can, we get, can we get the research team on that one? Yeah, I'll get, I'll yeah, get them yeah. on that. <laughs> it was like Sifafis or something like that. Anyway, okay. it's a boulder that you push uphill, right? So they're always pushing this boulder uphill, and then there's going to be these uh, these high high water marks where they're you know they're playing well, and there's going to be these low water marks where they're not. But um, but hopefully we're always still pushing that boulder up the hill. I want your Google team on that. <laughs> <laughs> For all the, the tour players that you teach and have taught, we, we're definitely going to get more into that. But look, you've got your own teaching school here in Chicago, and you teach everyday amateur players all the time, around the clock. So you've been around the game for a long time since you were a kid. And if we look at the data, Jake, the handicaps aren't really going down in the last 30 years. So I wanted to get your take on that a little bit. And I think you've kind of alluded to some golf instruction out there that's maybe not so good, right, in the internet phrase. But what do you see there and um, in some of the trends with where the game's going from an instructor's mindset or perspective? Sure. Sure. The, the biggest problem here is that people don't know what the problem is. Um, and if they did, they would actually fix it. So um, I learned a long time ago though I like to learn more about the individual in terms of their practice habits, I don't really need their two cents on what they think they're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I, I always tell people, I, yeah, I, I've taught professional golfers, but I mostly teach professional people. So um, professional people, how they operate their golf game, if, uh, you know, and most of them, again, at my rate, probably if they're not batting an eye, they're pretty well to do. So 
Uh, if they operated their business like they did their golf game, they'd be on the street with a cup in their hand. I mean, it's just that simple. So um, it, they, the problem is people don't know what the problem is. So uh, everybody has a phone uh, that can tape, that, that has a camera that can tape their swings well enough, right? So, um, so they're always going to take a look at what they don't like, but they don't understand what's governing that. So they're just going to tell you that their biggest problem is something that they don't like looking at in their own swing. When I, always, I usually tell them that's not your problem, that's your current solution. In other words, um, you know, we'll, we'll go to the, the old uh, stay down, stay in your posture. All right. So, you know, that's pretty common, right? You top the ball or something, your buddy tells you to, to stay down, right? And it sounds good if you say it fast. The only problem is that golfer is so steep in transition and if they actually did, they'd bury the club behind it. And in fact, uh, every so often they do uh, because the club's not supposed to break at the hosel. I don't know if you knew that, but um, at my learning center, there's people chasing the club head all freaking day, and I've never had a club break there. Um, so it's got something to do with, uh, so in other words, they, they, they see their correction, their current correction as their problem, but you need to eliminate the need for the correction. So I get it. They want to stay in their posture and rotate. Good, cool. I'm with you. But how they currently move the club in space um, that would not lend itself to any results um, that would uh, continue them down the path. To be honest with you, after the very first one of hitting behind it, I would come completely out of my posture and flip my hands at it too, just to get a desirable outcome. So I, I think people's, I, and you know, we talked about internet teaching and stuff like that. And uh, I think the information and, and I don't hear this a lot. I usually hear it's good or bad. Now, I, I think the information is all good. I think the order of implementation is shit. Um, in other words, people thought that the video that they saw must have come to them upon high, and that has to be what I work on right now. They don't understand the steps to take to get to that. Again, the video, the information is good, but maybe you're not there yet. I guess I want to dive into it a little more like this. So I grew up playing golf. Seriously, I played in college. You grew up playing. You played in college. Yeah. My teacher, maybe, like, he forced, he forced us to do short game work. Like, no, like, we're going to – if we got an hour today, it's 40 minutes, you know, maybe of long game. We're going to do, you know, 20 minutes of putting. Today, every – at least it appears, and just from people, I, pros I talk to, everybody wants to come and take a lesson and wants to work on the long game and wants to hit it high and wants to hit it far whether they're playing once a week or five times a week. When do you, are, are the handicaps not going down because teachers will just say, well, you're paying me, you tell me what to do, we're going to work on your long game, and you're just never going to be that good because you don't spend any time on wanting, you don't really care about scoring. Even though you say you do, you really don't care about finding those two or three more strokes or less strokes around the greens. What's your take there? How do you balance that with your players? Are like, hey, like, your swing's fine. We need to go pitch and chip. We need to go understand lie recognition and, and how to get the ball out of the bunker and at least somewhere on the green. What are your thoughts? How do you balance right. that? So, yeah, so, uh, I mean, first off, um, if you're a coach, you're in the results business. Um, that's first and foremost. If, if you don't get results with players, then uh, you're going to be selling countertops in the offseason. It's that simple. 
the, the biggest compliment that I ever get is like, you know, remember when we used to take vacations? So when I would take a vacation and, you know, we'd be on a cruise or wherever and somebody go, well, what do you do for a living? I go, I teach golf. And they go, oh, cool. What else do you do? And I'm like, no, just that. I don't, I don't need to do anything else. It's okay. Um, it can so, pay pretty well too. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so it, I, that's the thing. You have to get results with players. So, you know, the funniest thing is I coach an incredible amount of juniors in Chicago. One, because it's important to me, but two, selfishly, because they're inherently more coachable than adults. So in other words, you can train them properly. And I've got plenty of IJGA or AJGA kids that if I tell them to stand on one foot and hold their breath and they will earn a college scholarship or go play on tour, they'll probably be inclined to listen to me. Whereas that successful businessman or woman's going to be like, why? And then you tell them why, and then they do it until you walk away and then they stop. So th their deliberate practice is very weak and their buy-in, their time in might be high, but their buy-in is low. So, um, so here's the thing. Um, I, I like to go out on a limb and tell people that I'm in the business of guaranteeing uh, results, even though a good teacher is probably more like uh, the Waze app. Um, we can just, we can tell you where to go, but you're the one that has to go there. Right. And if you don't go there, then we're just like recalculating, we're just trying to figure out another way to get to there. So, um, with that said, I, I'm trying to guarantee, uh, guarantee results and improvement. And, and the good news is it, it actually lends itself to a particular type of player. So I don't waste it. I, I don't get the, the guy that's like, I'm teeing off and, and we'll probably get into my system that we do, but um, I, I, I don't get, because of the system, I don't get the, the guy that goes, I'm playing in the uh, scramble work golf outing in two days and I don't want to embarrass myself, right? I have no, in, I, I'll, I'll say that right now. I have no interest in working with that guy. And there's plenty of people out there that'll take that lesson, so go to them. I don't want to work with you. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, basically it has nothing to do with, and then the other thing that's really annoying, right? Is like when you do coach some pros is they always tell you, um, oh, you coach pros. I'm not good enough for you. That is not my level of distinction. I, I always go, are you serious? I don't care if you shoot a hundred or I don't care if you shoot 70. Um, you know, where is your level of commitment is the most important thing to me. So uh, when you're talking about scoring and guaranteeing improvement, which is really what we're talking about, I pretty much demand that all my juniors and all my golfers that come to me keep statistics, uh, at the very least basic statistics. Everybody on, on here uh, played high school and college golf, so you were keeping it even on the scorecard. I mean, if that's the best you can do, then do that because I used to do that too. I'm trying to quantify improvement. Um, and then the other thing here is – uh, this is going to hurt some feelings. Um, a golf lesson as I used to go to it when I was a junior was get out your six iron and then you look back and you're like, how's my swing look? I mean, who gives a shit? I, I like, you can't hit enough great six irons to be great at golf. I'm sorry. You can't. What you really should do. And it's cool because, uh, I always like getting like a new driver um every at least every two years or something obviously i get it for free but i mean this one you can sneak past the wife a little bit um <laughs> like dare yourself to like cave the face in on that in under two seasons right wear out your driver 
uh, wear out your wedge. All the tour pros that I worked with uh, change out their wedge every five, six weeks. So why can't you wear out like your 56 degree in one season or, or two seasons and then wear out your putter? And I'm pretty sure if you know how to start the hole and you know how to finish the hole, you'll figure the rest out in between. The trend I'm hearing you say, Jake, is, well, number one, it's more exciting to see the ball go, right, than do left arm drills, you know, with your feet together for an entire yeah. bucket on the range, right? And you know, we've had plenty of coaches on the show and I think I forget who it was, but someone said, you know, the golf swing isn't really that complicated at all. Um, it's unlearning habits. Um, that's hard. And it's like your point about the camera, right? Like I feel like, you know, I tend to go over parallel and a little across the line, like a lot of amateurs do. Um, and I was trying to get my hands a little lower. I felt like I was barely making a backswing and I was at parallel, right? And so right. it's like the balance of knowing your feels and your positions to actually put in the work. I mean, it's, I feel like that's the big disconnect. I feel like this left arm drill is not doing anything, right? How do I translate that to when I put my right hand on the swing? So you get frustrated after... 20 shots and you go back to doing what you're doing and it's hard to know when to keep going with something versus when to stick with it. Right. I, I, and you're touching on another point and this one is on the instructor. So, you know, th this has to be a, this has to be a, a, a meet in the middle type of deal, right? This is totally on the instructor. So we're so the, the teaching of golf swing has supplanted the teaching of golf. And uh, what we don't teach when we teach golf swing is actually how to make a change. Mm. Um, because probably the best players don't need help there. They're so malleable that they can do that. Um, so how to make a uh, motor pattern change is something that is completely, uh, probably not even thought of by the average amateur. And so uh, kind of, I actually give them a slight, a little lesson in terms of motor learning um, and, and, and neurology and, and uh, you know, they, they throw so many things at you. And, and obviously, I, you guys did, if you know the bachelor, you know my degree is in psychology. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bachelor should have been harder to find. <laughs> uh, but uh, but the, uh, the, the thing is, is there's different parts of the brain. There's, there, there's obviously the motor cortex, which records movement, um, the limbic system, which actually has houses your emotions. So that's you judging. That's good. That sucks. That's okay, I guess. You know, all of that stuff. And actually, they're completely separate. So, you know, and every instructor that's watching this and listening to this knows what I'm talking about. If you ever want to know if your, um, if your student is truly listening to you, in other words, that they're, they're more process-orientated or results-orientated, uh, ask them to hold their finish on the next one. And, uh, you know, like, say, uh, yeah, yeah, just hold your finish on the next one and let me uh, step in. How many times when you take a step towards them do they already not hold their finish? Why? Because they're not thinking about what you're saying. They're watching the outcome. So um, they are in a results orientation. The problem with being in a results orientation is that they are not getting 
the the feedback necessary. They're only judging. They're, they're in pure judgment. Oh, that was good. Okay. I'll listen to this guy. Oh, that was bad. Okay. I'm not going to listen to this guy. That's all they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, the funniest thing is you need to give them a little lesson on how actually you, the brain learns movement. And the motor cortex only knows sameness and difference. That's it. Sameness, difference. That's the same. That's different. It's not good or bad. It's just sameness and difference. So I am big into external cues and controlled environments because I can't allow someone the same. Because if I take all that stuff away, they'll be giving themselves the same. And I always tell them, hey, they're like, well, how, you know, if it's a training aid or, or, or a drill, well, how much should I do this until the next time I see you? I go, are you playing any golf? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be playing a couple rounds in between. Yeah, totally. I go, cool. You'll be having plenty of shots in an uncontrolled environment on the golf course. So right for right now with what we're working on, don't have any during your training. Have zero. Okay. Um, so if, if you only provide it with different, um, you actually give a chance to change. And actually, and, and I can't take credit for this story. Pete Cowan told me something very interesting. Um, and, uh, at Oakmont, uh, when we had lunch and I was, I was very excited to have lunch with Pete Cowan. Um, it, the, uh, it, that was the only, like most instructors, it's all good, but that was like, all right, that guy's, that guy's cool. Um, so, he said the problem with golf, and this goes back to the original statement, right? Why aren't people improving? And uh, he, it, this is really quick, but it's, it's right on the money. Uh, the problem with, let's say you have a tour pro. Let's say he shoots 72. Let's say he does that in four hours, which they don't. But let's say he did. Um, and let's say he hit 40 full swings, 40 full swings, second and a half. He's at one minute of actually working on his golf swing. One minute and four hours. Okay, so he's not happy with shooting 72, so he's going to go to the range for four hours. He's going to hit 400 golf balls. So he's eight hours in, and that's uh, second and a half. That's 10 minutes of actual practice of his golf swing to go with the one minute on the golf course. So he's at 11 minutes of working on his golf swing in eight hours. And then you ask him how he hit it, and he goes, uh, uh, only a couple good shots on the course. Well, how'd you hit it during – How'd you hit it during your rain session? Some good, some bad. So that's five minutes, 50 seconds of good, five minutes and 50 seconds of bad uh, if we're not going with the so-so. So you got 550 and 550. Do you understand now why your brain has no fucking idea why, what you would like to do to achieve today? It has no clue what yeah. you want to happen, right? You gave yeah. it, you spent eight hours of your day and five minutes and 50 seconds of it was okay or acceptable. And five minutes and 50 seconds of it was not, not acceptable. And it's like, I don't know what you want to do, man. So that's why you can't provide it with sameness. Um, I did tell a tour player this <laughs> once. I knew he could handle it, though. Um, he kept showing me the wrong way. And I told him, I go, if I wanted to see it the wrong way, I would tell you to just keep swinging. <laughs> I'm like, and yeah. he looked at me and I said, I go, don't, sh I know what you're talking about. Stop showing me, show me something else. Even when you're talking to me, even when you're not hitting a golf ball, show me something else. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like, I got it. And, and your brain's got it, right? Stop showing me the wrong way. Show me the right way. Show me something different. Well, it's kind of like the point of like, what I used to do, and this blew my mind, we did a podcast once, and someone said this, and it blew my mind of, 
I used to, you know, I'd have my camera set up, my, my phone on the range, uh, and I'd be swinging and I would let ball flight tell me what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. Yet the problem with that was, which blew my mind, is ball flight is actually not helpful at all because I could do something totally wrong and save it with my hands. And the swing next, I do something different, save it with my hands. Or I could do the same thing and have something different with my hands, right? Like it's such a millimeter of a difference that can create ball flight. And so that's an important point too, is like how to get feedback, right? And how to know you're in the right parts because in the right checkpoints. Because a lot of times we let the ball tell us what's right and what's wrong. That, that's what I uh, travel around. Uh, now it's webinars, but uh, do the in-person seminars because obviously I'm very techy, right? Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't disparage FlightScope, TrackMan, Foresight, any of those. I use FlightScope, um, but I was a TrackMan owner before that. So um, those devices are very good about telling you what happened. They're not very good at telling you how you got there, okay? So thus you need to input other device devices in. It's kind of like all these puzzle pieces and how do you fit them together, right? So you got the body track, uh, which is what I use. You got the hack motion, which is what I use. So basically I'm measuring two connection points, one to the club and one to the earth, right? And then I'm prioritizing that for the player based on the launch data. But you're right, your, your numbers, there's a way to fudge those numbers and there's not enough people talking about that. Um, whereas, and any golfer I know, uh, would, would understand this. They would go, you know, they hit it great to yesterday and why the heck it's like, they've never held a club today. Right. Um, you know, the funniest thing is, uh, with a lot of people's current release patterns, they, they would probably be best to quit their job and start pounding balls today. Um, <laughs> The, the, thing of, the thing of it is, you know, like, you know, and don't stop, right? You, you yeah. Googled Alex Noren's hands, right? Um, it, with their current release patterns, uh, that, would be, uh, that would be the only way that they could achieve success. So um, it, it's the or, it gets back to the order of implementation. So, and then the other thing is that, that we didn't talk about. Now, I'm going to assume that you know what you're looking at when you re- read the golf ball. Um, again, the, the, the flight scope can tell you that, but it doesn't tell you how you got there. Um, the other thing is most people can't read the golf balls. So it's like, uh, like that Robert Redford movie. So I'm going to go horse whisper and bachelor on the same freaking podcast. Um, it's like, uh, deep. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, we bring it out uh, of people, Jake. It's not your fault. It's what we do. (laughs) This is the, the trust tree with the branches Um, on the train. So I help people. I, I don't help people with horse problems. I help horses with people problems. Um, I help, uh, I don't help golfers with ball flight problems. I help ball flight, uh, problems with golfers. In other words, I teach them how to read the ball because most, again, you guys are better players. You guys have been on these systems. You guys understand these numbers. Most people don't. Um, I, I there, there is two very misdiagnosed shots and that would be a push to the right, which, um, is actually a slice if you're watching it close enough or a pull to the left. Those, those two throw everything off. Like the, the, the 19 handicap, right, that tells you, no, I can draw the ball sometimes. I'm always like, how long do I have to wait? I go, because that's the thing about drawing a ball. If, you can, if you're a drawer, you, you're, you're doing it now, right? 
So I, I actually tell them, I go, it, it's not on your best shot. It's, it's constant. It's all the time. So the funniest thing is someone who's so steep, so across and actually flips that face over, they're going to say, well, yeah, that's my draw. And I'm like, yeah, that one's in someone's barbecue. I mean, that's the, you can't play with that shot. So um, I think, I think that the first lesson with me, because they have all my clients have to be screened by a medical professional before they see me. The first lesson with me, I always tell people they wouldn't, their golf would improve immediately if I, if I gave them no advice on what to do with their swing. In other words, I just showed them the data. Like, this is your pattern, right? You are 100, and everybody tells you I'm so inconsistent. Um, you are every bit as consistent as a tour player. You don't like your outcomes. It's right. that simple. So uh, I, every, this, this 20 handicap that's always inconsistent, they're always steep, they're always left, and the face tends to be open relative to the path. But they're always steep, they're always left. That, that one's 100, right? So they're like machine-like in their ability to do that within a certain amount of degrees, right? If we stop the lesson there, right, which no one's going to do, but let's say we did. We're like, well, what do I do? <laughs> Go play it, right? If you're my partner and we're teeing off in five minutes, don't be telling me about these draws that these uh, these albino alligators in the New York sewer system. Don't be talking about these draws <laughs> that you hit some a uh, long time. Like this is what you're gonna play. So I put metrics for players, right? It, it carry distance, right? Which obviously no one understands how far they actually carry a golf ball. They're always like, "Is that thing right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's right." They're always and then, too. No, no, uh, <laughs> right. Oh yeah, I hit a 280. Well, like, the cons the consistent yeah. part about that, Jake, is that on distance and what you just said is amateur golfers put too much stock in outliers versus yep. the mean. Right? They see the perfect shot from the range they hit when there was no pressure, or the perfect shot on 18 when they thought their day was all over, and they think I should be able to do that every time. That's what they say to themselves. When really they've been hitting the same shot all day a hundred times. This is when you know you're getting really good at 3D uh, ground reaction forces and, and 3D ball flight is someone can hit a perfect shot in front of you and you can look at those numbers and go, I could see how this could get off, right? Yeah. Um, and, and sure, enough, I mean, I'm not Miss Cleo about this stuff. I don't predict the future, but I'm pretty good. I mean, if I see a club path that's exceeding, now this is a better player usually. If I see a club path that's excessive out to the right in a swing direction that's also that way, and they flush it right in front of me, I'm still not giving them a great chance on the next one, or I'm not giving them a great chance over four hours. I mean, they, yes, they're already a better player, but this is a this is a block and hook scenario guy, you know. So um, they're like, and and what do they say, right? Well, if I hit them all like that, I wouldn't be in front of me or in front of you, right? And I always go, I, it's okay, man. I know you don't hit them all like that. I can tell, you know, right. just look at the numbers. It's all right there. Right. Jake, yeah. well, let's talk a little bit more about your system and philosophy, at least at the high level to kind of explain yeah. to our listeners, because I want to say something else and you can disagree with this compliment, but we recently had Sean Foley on and we kind of asked Sean kind of to, to sum himself up. What is, is he a teacher? Is he a coach? And, he said, well, I think in a perfect world or what I strive to be as a performance coach, I try to create an mm -hmm. environment for my play, all the things that go into the details into that environment to get my players to succeed. 
And I, I think you're like that because when you've said, look, if you're, in a, if you're going to play in the scramble tomorrow and you just care about your buddies, you know, what they think, a couple shots, I'm not really interested in teaching you. You, you give me kind of this fully kind of like, I, I want to go to work with you. I want to go to battle with you. Whether we're going to go break 90 or we're going to go shoot 66. So talk a little bit about your approach to, uh, to your program. Somebody asked me two weeks ago, what's your philosophy? And I told them reality. <laughs> I said, if you buy into reality, I think I can help you. Um, if, if we're to quote, to quote, uh, one. To, to, yeah, to quote swingers, if you're all about puppy dogs and ice cream, then no, it's, this ain't going to work. Um, one, Sean's the man. Uh, I've known Sean since 2006 when he was just coaching Stephen Ames. Uh, I had a, uh, a, a roommate um, down in Florida that told me that uh, a younger guy uh, who talked a similar way I had to meet, and he was Canadian. So he was a Canadian long drive champ, and he goes, you got to meet this guy, Sean, up in Orlando. So um, love Sean. Um, if we're talking about me personally, um, I would say a lot of that came from Toski, my times with Toski. And then I'll tell you about my system. But um, Bob Toski, who is my hero, he's 94 years old. He's still teaching. You can go take a lesson from Bob Toski right now. Um, so uh, after, I think, two heart attacks or something like that. Um, and, and the most, the, the scariest thing in the world is not like uh, the tee shot at Cyprus, uh, numbers uh, 16. It is being in a car with a 93-year-old Bob Toski. That scared the shit out of me. Um, no mailbox was safe. Uh, but anyways, uh, Toski told me once, he goes, uh, he goes you're, and this was five, six years ago, he yeah. goes, two pieces of advice that I took from, from Bob. He said, uh, he said uh, don't coach too many tour pros. It'll make you really lousy at teaching amateurs. And he said, uh, in fact, coaching them actually might make you a worse coach. It was his point. And then his other thing was, um, he, <laughs> he watched me give a lesson, right? So that's like, that's like taking your shirt off and putting that as your profile pic. Right. Um, so bear before God, I mean, God being Bob Toski. So he said, uh, I said, how, you know, player got better. I was pretty happy with myself, right? <laughs> And Bob goes, yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> he goes, you're too nice in a lesson. I was like, I'm too nice? He goes, yeah. He goes, um, and, and by the way, if you've ever been around Bob, he curses like a sailor, right? So he goes, uh, yeah, you're way too nice. And, and I go, well, Bob, um, aren't they paying for a service? I mean, are they not paying for me and I'm providing them a service? And he goes, listen, who's the fucking expert here? You or them? He goes, because obviously they can't improve themselves, so they come to you. He goes, would you ever go to a doctor or a surgeon that turned to you and go, so what do you think, right? <laughs> so after that intervention, I realized that actually people are not paying for my time. Um, they're paying for a result, and that result could be in five minutes. I, was the, I didn't actually get golf lessons when I was a kid. I was the product of, of, a, of a drive-by. Right, I would practice a lot, and the golf pro would say, eh, I don't like that. Stand on one leg and hit golf balls until I come back. And then they would forget about me, and they would see four hours later, it's like, oh, geez, Jake's still standing on one leg hitting golf balls. I got to run out there and tell him to stop. Right? So I was the product of many uh, drive by lessons, right? Like, just do this drill, and I'll come back and take a look at you. 
never actually had a formal lesson. And then what about my system? So my system is born of what I see, what I have seen work at the PGA Tour level. And that's what I want to do for players, at least around the Chicagoland area. It's all players I work with, though, um, tour players or whoever. Um, so I want to... I want to surround you instantly with a team. Like for example, I just had this guy, he's a plus two at Butterfield. He uh, texted today or uh, emailed today and he goes, yeah, you know, my shoulders hurt. And I go, great, put uh, Dr. Jeremy right on there. I go, Jeremy's on here. Um, Why don't you go in there for a physical screen, right? So what we do is um, we, we have them do a physical screen. I get a script like a doctor kind of from Jeremy and it tells me everything they can and can't do even before I meet them. And then the second step of the process is actually the first step for me where they then meet me and then we do ball flight analysis. And then after that, it's probably handle interaction unless they're a better player and already know how to move the club functionally through space. Then it's ground reaction forces and then it's the 3D suit and then it's rinse and repeat. The 3D suit is last because every day, you don't need to see the before on that. Just by moving the club differently in space, you'll already see changes in the ground, and you'll begin to see the changes with their, uh, with their kine- uh, kinesiology, with their kinematics. I feel like, and this, it's a shame because we're coming up close to time here. Um, we've got a few yeah. more for you. I mean, it's, I feel like we could do three podcasts pretty easily. So maybe we should have you back and do a part two. But... I, we could talk about JoJo. <laughs> <laughs> it was the so, only Bachelorette season to watch. <laughs> so Matt and I, uh, we a big focus of the par train is using principles of golf to help you in life because there's nothing that gives you more feedback on a regular basis of mindset to result and nothing produces more failure than golf. So the mental game is a huge part of everything we do. Um, and that was what I was most fascinated about you. And I'm sure you get this a lot. But I want to know, what is something a swing coach does, in your case, differently with a background of psychology that maybe a regular swing coach doesn't focus on? Whether it's the way you frame language, whether it's your system you just went through, like what would you say is the biggest distinction that your knowledge of psychology helps with? So um, in psychology, an important part of that is discovery. So you, uh, for a therapist to truly have an effect on people, they have to learn more about them. Um, in a golf lesson, typically I, I hear the instructor um, uh, talking and not listening, you know, kind of the two ears, one mouth thing. Mm-hmm. And when you were saying that, I thought about, I thought about uh, a coach that I had had, which is when I knew I was going to get into psychology in college. Um, and he, if, if we still got time, I'll tell you this yeah. little story. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and th- this, this would be like the, the changing moment in my life. And that's when I wanted to be that for other players. And I, I've never told this story on anything, but when you were saying that, it just popped in there. So um, this, uh, I, I, <laughs> I didn't like this guy. I, I thought he hated me. And by the way, I, you know, I've, what have I had? Like 50 college scholarships come through me. And every single freshman that goes there, which, by the way, if they got a college scholarship, they're coming off a top team where they were the top dog. 
and then they go to a college campus and they real they don't realize that you're back down on the ladder. So every college coach hates them. I need to transfer right. uh, and all that mm. stuff. It, it's almost like ninety percent of the golfers I send away. And I and I I've always tell, told them, listen, you've earned nothing. Well, the reason I know this is actually from personal experience and the great coaches that I've had. Anyways, this guy was a total dick to me. Um, he. Uh, this, I, I, he once uh, suspended me for a week for being by his watch 27 seconds late to practice, even though I was tying my shoes in the parking lot, which he said, it doesn't matter. You're late. Uh, go practice on your own. Uh, he was always hard on me. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes I needed it. I might've been found in, uh, in other hotel rooms that I shouldn't have been in. Um, so on and so forth. Or, uh, if there was a curfew, I might've been found out at the same place he was <laughs> at, at early in the morning. So again, in retrospect, I thought this guy was, uh, was a, a just, I couldn't wait not to play for him, to be honest. And uh, so anyways, uh, I'll try to make it short. Uh, I play in a tournament. Um, I shoot 85, okay, as a 19-year-old or something out at Aldine and Rockford, right? And uh, I walk off, and, and I was always a hard trier. I'm that way about uh, teaching. I'm that way about playing. I'm a grinder. I, I've, I've always get giving, – giving my all is, is easy. Um, so I walk off, and he goes, uh, Jakey, what would you shoot? And I go, 85. And he looks at me and goes, this is when I played at COD. He looks at me and goes, we don't shoot 85 at DuPage, man. <laughs> It's like the last thing you want to hear, right? It's like, all right, thanks. Yeah, that's so anyways, we walk straight to the putting green and uh, we have lunch and everything. And, but my score obviously doesn't matter, but, uh, but they're doing well and we're in first or second. So when we got another day or two, I can't remember. And so uh, uh, Louie was really good about this. He makes us do a chipping putting contest, a, a little up and down. Just a little scoring, but a little money on it and stuff like that. And, uh, and then actually I, I do pretty well and I'm starting to feel better about myself. I'm like, all right, tomorrow's a new day. Right. So I get down right on, we're doing up and down pullbacks and I get right down to the end and I pull it back and I had a putt to extend it in this little side bet thing that we're doing on the putting green at Aldine and I missed it. Right. And I'm like, ah, and I just kind of whack it back and tell him, Hey, good job. Um, and then Lou goes, he goes, <laughs> goes, what the hell was that? And I go, well, I, I lost. I, I finished second. What are you talking about? And he goes, that's why you shoot 85. <laughs> so hey, you're um, ready to lose I, it at this uh, point. probably. <laughs> so I took the golf ball and I threw it as hard as I could at the clubhouse of Aldine. And I, uh, I wanted to go Johnny Depp, the bathroom, but I told him, and I've never said this in my life. I've never said this. Uh, before or since I told, I pointed at him and I said, you parking lot now. <laughs> <laughs> so the rest of my team's like, Oh shit. You know, so you parking lot now. And he came right. And I was, uh, I was basically signing my walking papers. That was the last round I was ever going to play for him. Right. And I was screaming at him in the parking lot so much that I couldn't breathe. And I had like, I, I had, I wasn't crying, but I had tears. I was just, 
and I'm just laying into them. I'm like, are you kidding me? I, no one works harder than me, uh, you know, and, and all this stuff. And I would think you would recognize that. I would think you would, re, you know, reward some. I think that would be somebody you want to play for you. Um, and I'm, I'm just screaming this. He is, doesn't say anything. He just, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then finally, I'm, I'm, I can't scream anymore. I've lost my voice now. I'm like, uh, and he goes, he just very quietly and not in a, a jag way. He goes, are you done? And I go, yeah. And I, I'm thinking, he's like, are you done? Like, are you walking off the team? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, all right. He goes, did I ever tell you the story about the little birdie? <laughs> and I go, and I look at, and now I, now I want to punch him in the face. If I didn't before, now I want to, like, I'm like, no, you didn't tell me the story about the little birdie. He goes, would you like to hear the story about the little birdie? And I go, sure. And he goes, all right, well, there's this little birdie. Okay. And, uh, you know, he's playing with all his little birdie friends. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm just, I, I'm beside myself, right? But I can't breathe. I, I, I'm crying, basically, and all this. And he goes, and that little birdie, uh, you know, it's a, that cold breeze hits the little birdies and all of them go like, I'm, time to go, time to fly south. And, and the birdie goes, no, I like it here. And, and I'm a really good flyer. Um, why don't you guys go ahead? I'll catch up. And they're like, oh, I think you should go. Nah, nah. See you guys later. So they fly away. And then all of a sudden, another breeze hits and another one. And then that birdie finally goes, all right, time to fly south, right? So he starts going to try to fly south. It, the weather turns completely, snows on him. He, his wings freeze, and he falls to the earth, right? And he, he knows that he's going to die. And it was on a farm, and a, and a cow walks by and takes a big, huge shit on him. But the shit is warm, and it thaws his little birdie wings. And... His wings are all uh, dethawed, and he knows now he can fly, and he will make it uh, down south. He's so happy that he starts to sing. And while he's singing, a cat walks by, hears him, pushes the shit aside, grabs him, eats him, and kills him. And he goes, would you like to know that the moral of the story is? And I go, I have no, no idea. And he goes, not everyone that shits on you in life is your enemy. And not everybody that pulls you from shit is your friend. He goes, I love you, Jakey. Um, you remind me so much of myself at the same age. And I just can't stand by and watch you make the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. So I, I lied and told you I wasn't quite crying at that point. I was after he told me that. I was never late for practice again. I was, uh, I was, I played, if I had played hard for him before, I, I got him after that. And he, uh, he, was, uh, he was at the head or one of the closest tables at my wedding. And he put his arm around me at that wedding. And we, hadn't, we never talked about the little birdie since. He puts his arm around me at the wedding. And he goes, do you know what the other moral of the story is? And I go, and this is, 20, this is what, 12 years later? I go, no, Lou, what is it? And he goes, if you're happy and you're shit, keep your fucking mouth shut. <laughs> that's a true story. Yeah, that's a great. That's yeah. That, that's how I feel. That's how I feel about coaching, right? And and the frontal assault isn't necessary to all players, right? Which maybe that was, right? 
Um, and that's the psychology, that's the art form of understanding who's in front of you and how to reach them. I got to ask you a question about Kevin Strelman, uh, a guy you know very well as I think an old friend and somebody you've taught, currently teaching mm -hmm. around, really understand his game. You know, early in the show, you talked about what it means to make cuts on the tour, right? And what it means to be consistent. I think Kevin Strelman is a great example of a really consistent player, you know, that just kind of bores you to death, makes a lot of money. He's one out there. I'm fascinated with your look into his game because I saw a stat this year that showed that Kevin was, uh, he averaged 25 putts on the final round on Sundays. First three rounds, he was up, you know, nothing special, no good, but he was averaging 25 putts on Sundays. And he had some great finishes. We saw at the Travelers, um, at Sanders Farm. Talk a little bit about Kevin and that kind of, we use the term grinder a lot, but some, that's a switch that, that I'd like to <laughs> maybe understand like how he turns it on as a tour player. When you grow up with the Kevin Streelman, right, you learn really quickly uh, that there's, there's some things amiss in what you're told to get better, right? So you're told, like, uh, as a kid, there hopefully is a lot less of this around, but maybe it's still out there. I still hear it. Like, drive for show, putt for dough, right? And I always, and, and I've known Kevin since we, we figured this out uh, during an interview once. I, I think it was about 12 years old. And um, everybody goes, and so we grew up playing in the same junior tournaments. Uh, I was number one, uh, you know, I played at uh, Donner's Grove South. He played at Wheat Warmble South. We tended to be grouped together. Um, so everybody goes, well, what was the difference between you and Kevin? And I said, oh, I don't know, one shot every three holes. <laughs> and, they, uh, and then they go, well, it, it's all the putting, right? And I go, seriously? I go, no, it's, it's more like 290 in the air with a cut. <laughs> I go putting. I go. I go. I can. I can. I can beat Kevin in a putting contest. I go, but that's not an accurate representation of what it takes to be a world class player. Mm. Okay, a putting contest. I think putting contests are great, and I have my kids do a lot of putting contests. But um, the thing you probably could come close to hanging with with a PJ Tour player would probably be putting. But the furthest, the, the further you put them away from the hole, the more you're going to lose. And it's just that simple. So um, Kevin, the ultimate grinder. So Kevin is a guy, so everybody always says, well, the, you know, the difference between tour players and amateur players is talent. And I'm, I'm a big fan of the lucky sperm club, but I will say this, I will say this. When you give a tour player a change or, 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 a, or drill, um, you know, the industry leaders work 10 to 12 hour days. So three days in, they're 30 hours into that change. How long does it take you to be 30 hours into a change? So again, yes, they're very talented, but they, they learn movement same way we do. They just have more, this is their job. This is what they do. I had a, a girl that won back-to-back -back high school state championships and I had another one that uh, won a couple of Illinois Opens. And then I uh, coached a, a couple ladies on the LPGA. He was always watching, right? Uh, before he ever asked me anything, he was on tour for six years, something like that, before he even asked me what I thought about his game. And I mean, we were hanging out playing golf all the time. 
Sure. If anything, I was piggybacking on, on a lot of the coaches he had as a way of, of learning, as a way of mentoring. So um, Kevin's not a person that you have to worry about giving a total effort. Um, you just got to make darn well sure that you don't use exaggeratory language with him because he cooks like a Cajun cook, man. He'll have that shit burnt in three days, right? <laughs> so um, you better be very specific with what you want him to do because he will do it. Um, mm. and, um, and that's what it takes. Uh, it's, it's not all, I mean, Kevin tells the story about him with his, uh, his Nissan Altimas and stuff like that. Um, the funniest thing is I also drove a Nissan Altima. I'm not sure who had that first, but anyways, uh, I was traveling all around the country to watch different teachers while he was traveling all around the country playing in every tour that he mini tour and stuff that he could be on. Um, so that's what people don't see is the, the hard work that goes into being an overnight success. He is, um, he, there is so many people that tell me, uh, you know, what he should do. And yet they, they kind of are, are lost in the woods a little bit of how many people would love to trade lives with him right the second. Like you said, he's made a lot of money. He's never <laughs> lost his card. Um, he, he, he wins every, he's due for another one and it's coming. Um, I I'm telling you, and, uh, yeah. he's, he's closer to, uh, a, a public kid. All right. He's closer to, uh, an amateur player, uh, than Roy McElroy is. All right. Yeah. Um, and I, and I mean that not even from a talent perspective, I mean that from a, and I'm not saying Rory doesn't work hard, but Kevin, his hero is Ben Hogan. I mean, he dig it out of the dirt is one of the most famous lines in golf. Kevin did that. And I saw it and I saw it firsthand and I just, uh, I just couldn't hang. Right. So, uh, there was no thoughts for me about playing on the PGA tour, but I was so interested in him because he was the best player I've ever seen in my life. Uh, especially up until that point. And the funniest thing is, then I kind of wondered if, if I really knew what good was, if he had made it or not made it. Like, do, like, if I've only seen him, do I even know what good is, right? He told me uh, he was a rookie on the, the PGA Tour that he overestimated ball striking and underestimated uh, short game. And I asked him, now years later, because that was 2008, um, that was his rookie year, I asked him if he still believed that with all the statistics. And he said, well, he goes, his ball striking has provided him a living. Right. So it as much as um, it's important to work on your weaknesses at that level, it might be. I get it. I get why you keep your strengths strong. And Kevin is a meat and potatoes ball striker. He really is. It's day in, day out, um, uh, fairways and greens. It, it's, it's pretty astounding. I mean, to be top 20 in uh, driving accuracy. And to be uh, I, the one Masters I coached in, he led the field in strokes gained driving, which is an impossible statistic at his distance for him to lead that for a week because Dustin Johnson and uh, Rory McIlroy are in that field. And that statistic is slanted towards distance, mm -hmm. right? right? Basically what that means, so everybody goes, so how did Kevin lead it? It's easy, never missed a fairway, <laughs> right? 
ever. Yeah. <laughs> didn't even come close. Yeah. Well, so we, um, we had a tour yeah. pro tell us, like, we asked him, hey, we saw your driving distance has gone up tremendously over the last six years. And he said something really funny. He said, I've been making a lot more cuts. And when you make a lot more cuts, the fairways are dried out on the weekends. And I'm hitting more, I have the chance to hit more fairways and they're, they're rolling out longer. <laughs> it's not that he's, you know, I'm sure he's gotten stronger and things. Um, but it's funny how important hitting fairways is. And I'm glad you talked about this, Jake, because this was one of my questions that I wanted to close on. But you hit it anyways is, you know, Kevin is 5'10", 175, hits the ball out on average 293 off the tee this year. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people are closer to your point to a Kevin Streelman than a Dustin Johnson, right? And, right. and he's doing that by hitting fairways and hitting greens, which we all could do more of. Yeah, it, it's, it's still the grand frickin' canyon between them and Kevin Streelman. Right, but totally. But at least, at, least at least we're on the same planet there, you know? Right, right. Well, Jake, this was awesome. Thanks yeah, so much. We'd love to have fun. you back. Um, I guess we can close on... Tell the listeners where they can find you if they, if they want to learn more. Okay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, no, I, the, my landing page would probably be my website. Go to jaketherm.com. If you're into the social media thing, then it tends to be at jaketherm.golf on virtually anything, Twitter, Instagram, uh, the YouTube channel, so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, some of it's golf instruction, some of it's stuff that I think's interesting. Some of it's me just hanging out down here. So having a, having a bourbon. So love it. Love it. Wa- watching, uh, watching a John Hughes movie. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, Hey, stay well through this time. You've, you've got the man cave for it. So I don't think, uh, it's going to be a problem to stay in and, and stay safe during the holidays, but best to you and your family. And thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate thanks, it. Jake. Guys. Take care, Jake. Thank you. All right. All right, bye.